0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mostly Weather. We have our usual suspects in the room, a wonderful array of weather people from the Met Office. So first up, we have Dr. Catherine Ross, Met Office archivist. If it happened in weather history, Catherine will find it as well as know all about it. We also have our very own Geoff Norwood-Brown, the man who knows and feels every aspect of the weather, And also, Alex Deakin, who is joining us for the first time and has worked as a BBC weather presenter and is now a legendary Met Office presenter. And I'm just Penny Tranter, once BBC weather presenter and now advisor in weather hazards and risks. So everybody, today we're going to be talking about the misuse and also overuse of weather terms, phrases that have been abused in the world of weather, words that need clarification. So, early apologies if we get on our high horse about some of the weather foibles that end up in the public domain. So, first up then, what terms in weather are overused? What do we think?
1: I think we're partly responsible for these, aren't we, Penny, as we used to be broadcasters and, uh, you know... Getting our message out there to the public, I think we probably have to hold our hands up to some of these. We have used them in the past a little bit too often. Um, all kinds of terms that some, you know, one person's perfect term is another person's really annoying term. I would say. agree
0: with that because I used to love saying "tricky travelling conditions." Yeah,
1: that's a good. One. I like that. Well, who doesn't? Who do, who wouldn't like that?
0: I know, it was good. I, it was just the way it rolled off the
1: tongue. Tricky travelling conditions. Yes. Uh, now, one thing that does annoy, nuisance value drizzle, that does annoy me. <laughs> that does annoy me a lot. I think, I the think way I always think about it, if, if it's a weather term, if you're down the pub and you, you would use that expression to describe the weather to your friends, then that's fine. I don't think anyone in the pub has ever said, oh... That drizzle today, that was nuisance value, wasn't it? I don't think anyone's ever said that. No, I would agree. I would agree. That's one of my pet hates.
0: Yes, or did you see that intense
1: downpour? Oh, an intense downpour. Yes, yes, that's always... I mean, a lot of it, it's just filling, isn't it? You have to fill, particularly if you're live on air. You have to fill. And a few of those expressions just come out of weather presenters' mouths because they're filling a gap. And that's often where some of the ones and people get a bit upset about it. But you've got to remember, a lot of these broadcasts are actually live, and you know,
0: yes, absolutely. I mean,
1: I know I'm from the weather presenters' guild here, but uh, you know, cut them some <laughs> slack. Sometimes it is live on air, and so it, it is tricky. And you're just using these things that don't necessarily make grammatical sense or make sense. No, I agree.
0: Uh, I agree because we it, were all, often accused of being using tautology. Yes, using yes. lots of words when one word would have done. Well, I was going
2: to ask you guys, now you're you're in the studio doing your presenting, filling, whatever else, what the heck are scattered showers?
0: (laughs) Well, it's a good question, Catherine. So it comes from old Met Office speak uh, when we had to talk about weather to the public. And some of the definitions were isolated showers, meaning just one or two showers in, say, a county. Scattered showers meant... Probably everywhere in the shower in the county would see one or two showers during a day, and then frequent showers meant you know the whole of the county will see quite a lot of showers during the day. So that was kind of the official definition from the Met Office, and it was just then taken in to
1: broadcast meteorology. Okay, a lot of the terms are actually you know old school meteorology, yes, uh, terms, and one of the problems we have. I have training some of the media guys here is actually getting them to get away from those MET terms that, that mean stuff to people in here, but don't mean stuff to people at home. You know, I, I go, go back to the pub reference. If, if you wouldn't use that term when you're down the pub talking to your mates, don't use it on a broadcast because that's the language people understand. And another key aspect of presenting the weather that people don't really understand is that actually a, presenter will, a bad presenter will try and describe the weather everywhere. From the from the from looking down, which is what happens in the in the meteorological brief, that's what the chief will do here in the morning. He'll describe the weather everywhere to everyone. But actually, if you're a punter watching on TV or listening on the radio, you just want to know what the weather's doing where you are, and from the ground up, it sounds like a, a strange. But it it doesn't make that much difference. But it really does. So yeah, scattered showers. You're describing the weather over a whole county, but no one's over that whole county. What you should say is, you may see one or two showers today, and then people know what that means. Yeah.
2: It's 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 interesting you sort of say that and it links in a bit with um, the we've got we see, it's something we see in the archive occasionally and it kind of it's that sort of meteorological terms that get pulled into yeah. but what does it mean to Joe Blogs exactly It is um, periods of sunshine spells, spells of sunshine, of sunshine. Yes. you know they're yes. all different intervals. lengths intervals, intervals. yes yeah. <laughs> well, which is longer or which is shorter <laughs> you? Yes. we don't know this and it sort of makes a bit of a you know it's yeah. confusing
0: yes. So, again, it's the old definitions yeah. from the Met
1: Office. That seep through. That's a good way of
3: putting it. <laughs> but that's kind of good in a way because,
1: because it goes back to the, the heritage that we have in this country of actually having meteorologists broadcasting, which is... which. I think is a great thing because you actually, you know, you've got the scientists telling people what the weather's doing. That's a great thing. But the downside of that is that you do get those scientific terms. Whereas if you just had a presenter on, they wouldn't have that history, that background, and so they would use slightly different terms and perhaps, perhaps in some ways, you know, better ways of communicating to the public. But that authority of actually having meteorologists broadcasting is is quite a big thing. I think in this country, it's something we should be proud of.
0: I would agree. I think one of my pet hates is cold temperatures and hot or warm temperatures that really does great.
1: <laughs> and well, we our former colleague Rob McElwee was always big on that. I remember when I first got to the BBC he would always beat me up about that and say you cannot say that. And but I think nowadays it's hard to, and people don't know why. People just don't know why you know people say it all the time. It's become kind of common parlance. We we have this fight uh, here and it's because you know you temperature can't be measured like that that's not how no, you measure temperature right. so you it doesn't make sense actually no. scientifically to say hot or cold temperatures you can have warmer conditions colder conditions but higher temperatures lower temperatures but yeah. you shouldn't ever say warmer warm no. but penny i think i've got i think we've lost this battle i think we've lost I, this battle because you hear chiefs
0: i was just gonna you say hear chief
1: meteorologists you... in this building say it all the time yeah. Uh, and if they're saying it then, you know, we I think we kinda have to hold our hands up. We may have lost that battle.
0: I I would agree.
1: We I have do to wonder, go with though, the times. If, we might,
2: if we might win it again in due course, because a lot of the time I'm hearing now warmer than average, colder than average. Yes. And as we get better at our climatologies and we get more data in, then you know, maybe mm. we're gonna get more used to saying than average mm. rather than just warm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that well, that would make sense. And again, it goes to what's useful, what's useful to the public. Do the public know what the average for March is? Do the public even know what 12 degrees feels like? I think it's more important to say it's warmer than yesterday because mm-hmm. you know what you wore yesterday. You knew whether you were warm or cold because you had that number of layers on. Tomorrow's going to be warmer. Oh, you think, oh, I can probably take a layer off yeah. or a layer on depends. So it's more about what people are used to. And the, the temperatures vary so much in this country. Yeah, well, and, so. and
0: you're absolutely right because you can have, say, 10 degrees and no wind. 10 degrees... And gale force winds and it's going to feel completely and utterly different. So I, I would agree. All things are relative. Okay, so what we're talking about in this mostly weather broadcast today is the misuse and overuse of weather terms. And actually, before we really get into depth on this subject, I think, Catherine, it would be really useful to know what terms have actually dropped out of everyday usage. Okay, there's loads of terms that we've lost,
2: which is really sad because some of them are so nice. Um and I've I've just sort of I've got a few I can throw at I mean a lot of them are are actually more dialectic, so you'll find it's something that is actually used in Scotland or it's used in Cornwall. Um but here's a few that are a bit more gen a bit more general. Um so we have foxy weather.
0: Foxy Ooh, weather. Bad. Oh yeah. Ooh, that, that sounds, sounds very one. interesting.
2: Sounds what does that actually so mean? So if the weather is foxy, it's misleadingly bright. So, in mm. other words, it's really sunny and clear, but it's absolutely freezing cold outside. Ah. So, so we
1: kind of, kind of used that expression last week where I say it's one of those days where the weather looks nice, but actually, when you get outside, yeah. it's not foxy weather. So, it was foxy oh, that's weather. All
0: really
2: right. So, whereabouts is that from then? Where does that come from? That's a, that's a, that's a, gen, that's a, a sort of a general,
1: general one. one that's kind of a, a, a British
2: term, if you like.
1: I really want to do the, the music now from, from, from Wayne's World, you know? Remember? Foxy Lady, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. oh the little fingers, yeah.
0: Okay,
2: a bit no.
1: before my time. Oh. It's on YouTube. YouTube.
0: <laughs> so what other what other pearls do you have there? Okay, so uh, one of I, I've got I've got two two names for
2: the same thing here. Uh, one slightly more uh, dialectic. So you know, but you know, we'll see if you can figure it out that we've got bows of promise.
1: Bows of promise. Wow. And that we've sounds
2: also very got Georgian. a weather gore.
1: Weather gore. Oh, weather gore. G
2: G a
0: w. G
1: a w. Gore.
0: Um, Okay. Any guesses? Mm. Oh, I think gore's got to be
1: wind. Alex. Well, suppose I probably suggested some something like a cloud type in the sky that's a portent of some better weather.
2: On the right line, so actually the clues and bow, they're rainbows. Oh, right. So okay. the Victorians had this wonderful romanticised view of Aww. rainbows, you know, the pot of gold at the end, and yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. So that was a bow of promise. Yes. And a weather gore is actually a Scottish term, uh, weather, okay, clues in the name, um, but the gore is actually kind of in a, in a ditch, it's the same shape for, of the U-shaped cross-section of the ditch. So it's basically a, 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 weather, a bow, ah, just, it's just ah, a, okay. a dialectic term for a bow. Ah. Okay, Weather bow, rainbow. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have hunch weather. Hunch. Hunch weather. <laughs> you can, like can kind of guess yeah. that one, yeah. can't so it's you? It's cold.
1: The beast from the east is hunch weather. So. Hunt.
2: 100%. Drizzle and strong wind. When, it, you know, when you've got a hunch over when you walk, because right. it's ah, just so horrible. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So Yeah, yeah that it's, makes it's, a lot It's of kind sense. of guessable. Hunch I like weather. that
1: one. That's really good. Mm. This is yeah. fantastic. I'm going to use all of these. You're <laughs> like the Susie Dent of, of meteorology. you all these great, <laughs> great words. I they're just living. such <laughs> fun words. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and, and then my, 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 I've got two names for the same thing again, but they're very, very similar. But these two are just, I, just, I want someone to use one of these one day. We have a twirl blast and a twirl wind.
1: A twirlwind? Yes. Like a whirlwind, like a
2: tornado? tornado. Bingo. It's a tornado. Oh, right. It's the 18th century term for a tornado. But I mean, a twirlwind, it's just cool. It sounds like I... some kind of
1: ballet dance, yes. doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It sounds a bit less threatening than yes. the reality. <laughs> oh, True. You're pretty tower! But... So. Oh. Yeah, there wanna, is uh, that. Yeah. But... You want to be running if you see a twirlwind, <laughs> not admiring it.
2: Yeah, but it's just kind of a really nice term. Yes, yeah. it is. yeah. yeah um, and so. then, you know, sort of going out of, of the colloquial if you like and into mm-hmm. some actually some quite formal terms i was looking back at our beaufort diaries and now uh, admiral beaufort wrote us um, his, his beaufort scale and he also came up with this selection of weather terminology which was coded up and was used actually some of it still exists r oh, for rain is still out there okay. um but so he would sort of he would shorten these words and he had um well one of my particular favorites is, is shortened to gr and it's oh, known as grumble? greasy skies
1: Greasy skies? What is that? Oh, Your guess is as
2: good as mine. Oh, the
1: sky's looking greasy today.
2: <laughs> I mean, it lasted for about 50 odd years. So oh it meant. I mean, it probably meant something to sailors. To be fair, this is this is
0: going to be sailing terminology. Right. Um, mm, I'm struggling though. Greasy is sort of brown, dark grey, isn't it? But I, I suppose, you know, we're...
2: If it's going really dark, then yeah. greasy, or but nice then if bad. the sky, yeah, yeah. Well, or
1: maybe it needs a wash. It's right. <laughs> expecting the rain to come to wash the sky because it because it looks greasy. could be that. Who uh, knows? knows? Who knows? because yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I cause I've got one, Catherine, which I know was used quite a lot um, a few centuries ago. Was tempest? Hmm. So that got. Um, Superseded by storm, storm didn't it? yes. I just wondered why we had that sudden changeover. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you've got Shakespeare's The
2: Tempest. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I was mean, why we changed to storm. Perhaps it became a bit more scientific and a bit less sort of remote emotive language, you know, that, that you got that change. Particularly the early, well, the early eighteen hundreds, uh, when you sort of go more from from romanticized views to specifics. Okay. Um, and certainly you know one, you know, if thinking about that in relation to the Beaufort scale, you know, you do find that there's a point where it's storm. You know, yes. And then you know, yes. at the very top, he calls it hurricane, which I'm sure we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I really don't hope worry. we will. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yes, I suspect possibly it just became more specific, and someone right. moved away from the
0: concept of the tempest. Tempest yes, is a great
2: because word
0: though, isn't it? yeah. Well, yeah. I think it, it's really interesting, isn't it, about tempest? Because I just wondered whether there was a huge amount of negativity around the word tempest, so that we moved towards the word storm. Um, and also, it's such a shame that we've lost all those lovely colloquialisms from the UK. Because of course, weather is now so much more international, isn't it? So we have to use words that can be used right across the globe. Yeah, I think that's very true.
2: Um, Just one thing, actually, now you come to mention Tempest, that almost might flip it the other way. Um, In 1703, there was a very, very famous storm, which Daniel Defoe wrote about. and, And he actually wrote the book The Storm. And you almost wonder if it actually got taken in
0: into the language as the standard term after that. It's quite possible, isn't it? Yeah, it's very interesting. So Jeff, I'm really interested to know which terms you feel are overused or misused when it comes to weather
3: okay so one of my one of my least favorite terms shall we say is um the use of the word locally okay. um it's It's used quite a lot uh when um uh you see the news or uh, you see the uh, weather being done on uh, radio or or t v uh, people say you know there will be showers locally quite heavy. I always think does that mean locally to the viewer or locally to the presenter but it's also quite interesting because it's used within the Met office as well it's you know when, when we we have a, a big briefing every morning uh, called the chief's brief um and and they quite often use the term locally and i'm I'm still baffled as to to what this term actually means
1: what, what which bit don't you understand it just means in some in a smaller area
3: than the than the bigger area. So, right. Okay. I mean, that's so, beautifully the that's the, described there. No, the way I hear it is, is, is uh, that uh, you know, locally means to me that where I am, that in the in the locale. Uh,
0: so that's okay. how I've
3: always heard it. So, okay. uh, so,
0: so, what word would help you to hmm. kind of identify what they're talking about?
3: In some places.
1: Okay. In so that's isolated pieces. in some place that's three words that's three words locally yeah. it's just one word, but so that's how, three, that's, or how or
3: was... I, that's how i hear locally you know i'm i'm not saying well, i'm well, correct i'm, I'm just that's saying used that's
2: localized which is a bit more yeah it isn't as obvious as yeah. being here localized because
3: it's interesting because there's there's a phrase that was used this winter uh thundersnow which a lot of people got annoyed mm. about Yep. And I love that. Yeah, I love it's a that great word. Well, you know, it is it's it's because fantastic. I've experienced it. You yeah, know, you know, because
0: so. it's quite rare in this country. So this isn't is it? it.
3: this is a thund- when it's snowing and you get a thunderstorm, so you get a flash of lightning, and it is so bright, um, especially at night, which is when I experienced it. And, and I actually, actually I love that phrase, but it does annoy a lot of people. And it affects the sound
1: as well. It affects the sound, because the snow, particularly the snow lying on the ground. You get you much, much more emotive from yes. the snow, particularly, yeah. as you say, at night. Yeah. It's an incredible experience, yeah. but it is quite rare. That's so on my uh, hit list
2: of whether to experience yes, it. Yes, <laughs> it does
1: need to be experienced. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, again, I don't
3: understand why people get annoyed with it. It's, Perfectly obvious. Think what it think, is, I think people think that it's just been made up on the spot. Mm, yeah, and but okay. it's actually you know, mm. I saw this on a on a on well, a social media conversation. Someone was saying, "No, stop making terms up." <laughs> and I was like, "It's in the dictionary, <laughs> you know." It's, yeah. So it, it does exist, you know. Yes. But, if, but it's just it, it's one of those things. I mean, you can't. I mean, I, I saw one of my favorite um, uh, uh, comments that someone was getting really upset because. A, a presenter had said there will be sh- uh, snow showers and they said i hate it when they say snow showers because showers means rain <laughs> and right. like, no it doesn't <laughs> yeah. yes. and it goes back to what we're yes. saying it's one of the problems
1: you, we have is just uh, different weather terms mean different things to, to everybody yeah, and it's really hard then if you're trying to convey what the weather's doing because it means one thing to one person and another thing to another. people yeah. don't know the difference between rain and showers you know, so we, we often put that on a weather headline, rain or showers, because it's a meteorological thing and people just don't understand because rain is showers. So why would you say that?
0: So, Alex, we yes. have to ask a question. What is the difference between <laughs> rain and showers? Well, that's a very
1: good question, Penny. And rain is <laughs> frontal rain, you know, from a weather front that comes in. It's usually in a line or a band. It lasts for a couple of hours and it moves through. Uh, if it's a classic weather front, that is of course. showers more hit and miss. So not everywhere will see a shower. They're in tiny little blobs. So some places will get a shower five miles away. It could be completely dry. That's the difference between rain and showers. You get rain, you get showers of rain, just like you get showers of snow. But It's a different meteorological term. Yeah. And yeah, it's again, it's the job of the presenter or the person conveying it to get that message across. So if people don't understand. You need to explain it to people. You, know, you can't assume uh, too much knowledge. About knowing your audience as well—that's one of the key things. Always, always know your audience when you're broadcasting. Whether you're doing it on uh, something, something like BBC Breakfast, it's a very different audience to the ten o'clock news or country file, uh, or country file exactly. Yeah. Uh, or when you're doing it on the app for the Met yeah. Office app, a present presentation there—it's very different. It's a different yeah. audience. You've got to again think about how they're watching, how people are consuming these forecasts. Uh, if you're just watching it on Twitter now or on Facebook again it's so many different ways that we can communicate the weather you've always got to be aware of not only who your audience are likely to be but also the way that they're watching it
3: I mean one of the things that make I always think is quite interesting is people just say look just you don't have to differentiate between rain and showers, and just if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. That's mm, all that is. Yeah. But I think you know, soon as soon as I hear someone say showers, think oh, post cold front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I always think you. I if you think showers,
1: it means it's not going to rain all day. And rather yeah. than say it's not going to rain all day where you are, just you have to describe. You do no matter how hard you try, you do sometimes have to describe the whole weather across the country, and people Im- have to interpret a little bit. But if
3: bit. you imagine if you're a pilot and you hear showers, what's the first thing you're going to think? Especially if you're a glider pilot. Yeah. Not disturbance, yeah. <laughs> <Turbulence>, <laughs> Turbulence. Well, that's it. yeah, because you realize that, that showers come from updrafts and yeah. thermals yeah. and that sort of thing. So, if you're a glider pilot, you hear showers like, well, hey, let's go out and <laughs> get flying, you know. Um, but you know, and that's the difference, and, yeah. and it means things to different people, you know? absolutely.
0: So, I and I think the other thing with showers is that you know, before and after you will see sunshine or you will see clear sky, whereas with rain from weather fronts, yeah, yeah it's not, it's all cloud, yes, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So there's exactly. also that as well. So that, I mean, that's quite interesting, but we also have another one as well, don't we, when it comes to visibility, you know, we've got fog, we've got mist and we've got haze, you know, what is the perception for the public as opposed to people Why using it for aviation? Yes,
3: yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, to be very, very technical, um, Fog is when the visibility is reduced below a thousand meters with a humidity above ninety five percent and not seventy percent as it says on Wikipedia. Um, thanks for that. Because I looked it up yesterday and, and I, I saw seventy percent. Really? <laughs> you know, yeah. have, have I had this wrong? No, it's ninety no. five percent humidity and above. Mist is reduced visibility. Normally we, we, we say below. Uh, uh, 10,000 meters or 10 kilometers, uh, with a uh, with a humidity of uh, 95% or above, and haze is reduced visibility where the humidity is less than 95%. And I've I've had it explained to me that the reason it can be mist at 95% humidity and haze at 94% humidity <laughs> is because. Because the water vapour has evaporated from the condensation nuclei oh, and right. the visibility wow. is still reduced by the condensation nuclei. don't remember ever nuclei. using that in a broadcast. No, I, d- I don't I remember wouldn't, remember I wouldn't go I don't, into don't, that much steam. <laughs> if people yeah. get annoyed between the difference between rain and showers, we <laughs> yeah. can go into yeah, con- cloud condensation far. nuclei. Yeah, that's yeah. well, that's quite interesting. But that is the technical. I'm always amazed at
1: how people don't know what fog and mist is. When you tell them it's just cloud on the surface, they're like, whoa, that actually blows people's minds.
0: Well, I think they're going to it's just the same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah.
3: been asked actually, what's it? I've never been in a plane. What's it like going through cloud? And <laughs> I was, Have you ever been in fog? Okay, it's exactly <laughs> the same. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah. no one listening to this podcast would would not know that. But but I'm amazed at
1: how many people I meet that have. Yeah, what is fog? It's, it's yeah, some sort of mythical thing. It's just
3: cloud that hasn't yeah. learned to fly. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's a beautiful that's thing. Yeah, I'm going to use that as well. So I'm picking up so many new terms today. So, <laughs>
0: Public sector fog, then. What's the definition of that? <laughs> I have an idea, but I don't know if it's the right one. You know. I don't
3: know. I thought I, I I only know the one fog definition. So <laughs> no, we,
1: we wouldn't talk. We wouldn't warn about fog unless it's less than two hundred
0: meters. Hundred meters. And so oh, that's okay. yes,
1: public service. Fog. That's public. So the fog, fog that you described it was basically for aviation purposes. That's fog for airplanes
0: taking uh, off and landing.
1: Taking okay. off and landing. Yeah. Um. But yes, for public. Consumption for anything less than 200 metres would be fog. fog. And that's when we'd m- think about issuing a warning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And dense fog is, in my understanding, 50 metres or less. Oh, is it 100 metres? Meters? Meters or maybe less, 50 yeah. metres is very dense. Yeah, no, I've
3: got a feeling it was 60 in my head so there you go, so i tell you, there you go. I think it was 100 metres because when I first started the, the, the balloon shed that I used to launch the weather balloons from was 100 metres away from the office and if you couldn't see the balloon shed you had to report dense mm. fog but that's one of the beauties of
1: the way we've changed to issuing warnings now we don't have to worry about whether it's 60 metres or 100 metres or 50 metres it's about the, the impact. impact it will have so 60 yes. metres of fog on the M4 during
3: rush hour I think we should probably
1: have a warning out for
3: that. I think they I mean, think they have slightly different um, uh, terms for aviation fog, don't they? Because the, mm. the problem is, is uh, uh, you know, as a, as a standard citizen, you're just walking along the ground and you're looking horizontally through the atmosphere. If you're in an aircraft yeah. looking to land, you're looking down the hypotenuse of a triangle, if you like. So you've got a much yeah. Um, you've got much more atmosphere to look through to see the runway. Yes. So the fog is going to have a bigger impact. So if we say it's less than a 1,000 metres of visibility, that's going to be even shorter if you're looking diagonally through through the atmosphere. Shallow fog, different, you know, different types of fog as well. You could be quite
1: easily flying high up in the sky and... Flying through clear skies, but the the Run, air, you can't centric. find you can't find the airway. The runway runway centric, yeah, runway centric. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Fog that always forms on runways, yeah, yes. and nowhere else. Yeah. Well,
0: absolutely. I I remember I worked at an ref station way back in the day, and we had frost over the runway. And once that frost melted, it lifted up into fog. Mm. Yeah. So I have seen fog-centric yeah. runway. It's interesting
3: as well. Where, no, where, no where you,
0: runway-centric fog. When you've
3: been an observer for as long as I was <laughs> <laughs> you actually get used to to. you you, you can wake up in the morning and, and, and look at the sky and look at the stratus and think, that's lifted fog. It has mm. a different yes, it quality. Does. It's like a darker grey and you, yeah, wow, honestly you stop looking at me like that <laughs> that's,
2: that's, I'm yeah. not mad I believe you Okay, so assume that you're actually telling the truth there um, <laughs> which i will do of course i will bow to you superior knowledge um but you know, I, i'm just wondering two
3: slanders there
2: <laughs> <laughs> now now um what about like, reports of weather which are wrong essentially so i mean what the one i'm thinking of here is snow in summer what is it because presumably it's
0: not snow so it can be hail Gropal type hail
1: you get, get, small bits of hail, yes, masquerading so you get, as You tend to get bigger thunderstorms in yeah. summer, so they could go high up through the atmosphere, they get colder, so you get you do get hailstones, big hailstones,
3: and they can cover the ground white, like snow. No. Um, so, yeah. okay, so um, we get a lot of rain in, in summer, especially in the UK. Um, now, most rain starts out as snow mm-hmm. and melts on the way down. Uh, groundfall that you mentioned is, is quite an interesting thing because that's actually... Where hail has started to accumulate on snowflakes, um, so that's what graupel is. It's it's quite a specific thing. So it's where um, has, there has to be supercooled water involved in it, and as the snowflake is descending through the atmosphere, um, uh, ice starts to accumulate and build up onto onto the snowflake. And so basically, what you end up with is a hailstone with a snowflake in the middle of it. That okay. that was the formation. And that's what ground pull is. Mm-hmm. Then you've got small hail and, and uh, yeah, all, all, sorts all sorts of different. Of things, yeah. But as, as Alex was was saying there, um, thunderstorms are more prevalent in the summer just because of the uh, the the amount of heat that's involved in in, in trying to produce these things, um, and the accumulation of uh, well, the rain basically starts forming uh, as ice crystals high up in the in the cloud in in the cumulonimbus cloud. And then will fall generally melts on the way down and turns into rain um but if it doesn't then you will get snow in summer
0: yeah because if you have a huge huge immensely fast downdraft yeah that is when you're most so likely like a microburst is, yeah. is is
3: one of the things so uh so yeah um but yeah it's it's i mean it's it's just it's frozen water a snowflake is frozen water hail is frozen water it's just the way um it, it freezes so we, the snowflake is called the dendrite you know and it's just the way the crystals form and and, and um if you imagine hail is just like frozen water droplets, and the, what actually happens is they go up and down in, in the cumulonimbus cloud uh, because of the thermals until they become too heavy to go back up again, and then they'll fall. So if you ever cut open a hailstone, it's like, a, it's like an onion inside. It's just got layers and layers and layers mm. where it's gone down, then back up, and it's had another coating of ice, and then it goes back down until it gets too heavy. Now, if the condensation nuclei that the hailstone forms on happens to be a snowflake, that's when you get graupel, and that's what graupel is, and okay. it will fall.
1: And of course, sometimes it snows in April, Jeff. Print some. Uh,
3: but speaking of summer,
1: Indian <laughs> summer, Indian summer. Wow, what a term that is. That's given me enough headaches over the years. It must have done you as well, Penny. I remember... Yeah. Every year, I think it gets earlier and earlier when people start talking about when we're going to have an Indian summer. I seem to recall last year, even in the heat of July, so like, oh, and it's going to be an Indian summer. It's like, well, let's get rid of this summer first. But yeah, every year, at least August, certainly through September, people just start talking about, is it going to be an Indian summer? But what's the definition of an Indian summer? Okay. What do we mean by it?
0: Well, so an Indian summer, as I understand it, is a name often used to describe a warm calm spell of weather that occurs in autumn so that's september october november right so that is that is our sort of definition really of it
3: so when when does summer actually officially end
0: so summer is june july august that is the meteorological summer
3: but so, doesn't there have to... Aren't
1: there criteria around it as well? There's there's rules. Doesn't there have to be a frost before you can have an well, Indian summer? Well, I
0: thought i it, it has to be a cold spell first. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, but nowhere in the literature can I find that mm-hmm. you have to have a frost, mm-hmm. that it has mm-hmm. to be cold beforehand or anything like that. It's just talking about Can't what you can see more. in September and October and November. Would you like some statistics? Yes, please, Penny. I'd love I, a I stat. Thought, I thought you might like... Hit me statistics. with your stats. <laughs> So um, I thought I'd just tell you where, first of all, it originated from because obviously Indian summer has connotations with the United States. Um, not
3: the subcontinent then? Not not Asia? Yeah. No. Oh. It's no, a, it's, no, as, it's as not. It's as a Native American. It's
0: as it. a Native American. So it's Native Indians. American
3: summer, not... Yes. Yeah.
0: So several writers have speculated that... It originally came from Native American Indians because during this spell of Indian summer weather, they were able to continue their hunting, complete their harvests, and put together stores of food to see them through the long, cold winter ahead. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so particularly on the eastern seaboard. And the first time it was ever recorded as being used was in 1778 by a Frenchman who saw... The Indians in, uh, well, it was the Mohawk Indians um, using it to their advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to do with misty morning, foggy mornings, anything like that. It's just about fine, calm spell of no. sunny weather.
0: Yep. But I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything related to. Yeah. Um,
1: oh. um, anything be cold beforehand or anything know. like no. that. So any no, spell of no warm, frost oh, or anything. Warm, it was just
0: about warmth. Good. So um, we had one in 2011 in the UK. And we did see some temperature records broken. Surely by
1: your definition, we have one every year. There's always a calm spell of weather in I the autumn. So, 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 so does it just, have to be above average temperatures
3: Yes, it well?
0: has. it has to be... Well, I think it has to be significant above average. Uh, uh, right. Now I'm ah, using that word. Yeah. Significant, yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what, significant. what does
3: significant mean? Does mean? <laughs> and
1: locally?
0: <laughs> <or>? <laughs> uh, I think widespread. Oh, we'll go okay, for widespread. Alex. <laughs> 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 so, I think, you know, 2011 is is a sort of a classic example because on the 1st of October, 2011, Uh, we saw a temperature of 29.9 degrees Celsius. I know where that was. Go on then. Gravesend. Which county? Kent. Well done. And that was a new English October record. And that temperature was higher than the Bahamas, LA or Barcelona at the same time. And we also saw in Wales 28.2 Celsius recorded at Harden.
1: And a couple of years ago, we had the warmest Halloween on record. Was that 2015, 14, something like
0: that? Yeah, it was there like a really warm that. spell at the end mm. of October. That was yeah. also an Indian yeah. summer. And, and what do people do? What do you think people do when uh, we have Write this
1: headlines. R- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go to the beach. <laughs> Absolutely. So people head to the beach. That's one of the big things people do. Because usually with this warm spell, you're going to have sunshine. Because it's... Usually come in from the south, so it's a tropical continental air mass. Um, Mm. Good knowledge. Good knowledge from the (laughs) Mediterranean and North Africa. So people are going to go out onto the the beaches, they're going to go out into the parks. You're also going to see flowers, be confused and think, oh, spring's arrived early, I need to burst into flower.
1: And also the sea's warm at that time of year as well. It's the warmest time of year, so you want to be at the beach. It's better than if you get... Better 20 than degrees August, in March bit, yeah. when the when the sea's cold, yeah, yeah, because the sea's still pretty warm in, in September, yeah. October.
0: So that's what it is, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. It's just a warm, calm spell, certainly for a few days where you see temperatures well above average. Oh. Okay. Um, during September, October, and November. Nothing to do with frost or anything else. Right. On the subject of, of summer weather, things that
2: are, get associated with warm temperatures.
0: Oh, <gasps> oh yeah, there you go. Oh. I've done it
2: too. <laughs>
1: You mean yourselves. high temperatures.
2: High temperatures, okay. Um, what a, a Spanish plume, a, or a classic Spanish plume.
0: Okay, um, I think of somebody with a feather. What's a Spanish plume?
1: <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Spanish plume.
0: Well, Spanish plume is actually a very catchy name for a band or bands of severe thunderstorms um, which come up from the south and affect many parts of the UK, um, especially in summer. But it can occur any time of the year. Oh, it can. And also any time of the day or any time of the night. But it's more likely to happen in the summer.
1: It comes from, well, it it kind of also spawned the classic saying, three fine days in the thunderstorm. -hmm. thunderstorm, Because you get the warmth ahead of it, which comes up from Spain. And then you get the destabilisation of the atmosphere from a trough uh, which is something high up in the atmosphere coming in from the Atlantic it destabilizes the atmosphere and you start to get the warmth giving way to thunderstorms and that's So the, what
3: this are. is it. It's, so, so it's yeah, as you say, it, it generally comes from from the Iberian Peninsula, doesn't it? But it can come as far from as far south as uh, uh, Northern Africa um, And it's it's essentially a buildup of heat that yep. cannot rise so the heat just builds up and builds up and normally well, if it happens in our summer as well, you've also got the, you know, the long days uh, and the high sun, which which basically adds to the heat that's being generated. And as Alex says, what it's waiting for is for something to come along and just release all that energy in the, fo- in yeah. the form of thunderstorms.
0: So um, I've kind of looked into this in a little bit more detail oh, okay. because I was a little bit flummoxed. I have to be honest. You
1: remember your forecasting course from years ago, Penny?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Several centuries ago now, I feel. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. So the, the first the first thing that we have to think about is that we've got lots of hot but very dry air building up over the central plateau of Spain. It's mm-hmm. 600 metres up. Yeah,
1: that's key, actually. That it's key. Starts that it's, it's not um,
0: And so it's building up around a heat low. Um, We also have over central Europe a high pressure area and also out towards the west low pressure area with a cold front coming in. So that means that at the surface we've got a southerly flow coming up towards us. So first of all we've got that hot dry air and what it does is it starts to move northwards and what it'll have beneath it is warm moist air that we might have over France, over Biscay, over the UK As a forecaster, we used to look at if you've got a dew point above 16 degrees Celsius and you've got a Spanish plume set up, then we could see a Spanish plume then develop. So then what happens is that as that hot, dry air goes over that warm, moist air, the hot sunshine that you get from the high pressure just over Central Europe lifts the temperature up in that surface warm, moist air. And once it gets high enough, maybe into the low 20s, uh, sorry, high 20s, low thirty Celsius, it then bursts through into that hot, dry layer. And we start to then see thunderstorms develop absolutely rapidly because we've got cooler air aloft. So there's nothing to stop the huge development of those cumulonimbus uh, clouds right to the top of the atmosphere. And the other reason why we often get spectacular lightning from those thunderstorms is because the clouds form at medium levels, so at around about 5,000 feet. So often that is when you get those.
1: And you get altocumulus castellanus planets. ahead of it as well. Yes,
0: yeah, so which again is another key indicator, isn't it? We always used as forecasters yes, yes. that if you saw altocumulus castellanus, you're going to see severe thunderstorms within yeah. 24 hours.
3: So, yeah, so one of one of the preludes to, to thunderstorms is Altacumulus Castellanus. Um, the thing about the Castellanus, it's so named because it looks like the crenellations um, on a, you know, the, like castle turrets, if you like. Um, and that um, Altacumulus is a cloud that is in the medium level. It's uh, between sort of 6,000 and uh, 18,000 foot in the atmosphere. And it's a really good indication of medium level instability. And the instability is the thing that's going to give you the thunderstorm. So it's like a prelude to what's coming.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank thanks for that, Jeff. Um, just moving on then, and I think we're just gonna have a look at a little bit more about debunking of terms, misuse of terms, overuse of terms. And we've seen, you know, recently over the last few years or so, sort of more what I would call Americanized terms. I mean, here I'm sort of thinking of stingjet explosive cyclogenesis weather bomb polar vortex sounds
1: very sensationalist doesn't it but actually there are genuine meteorological reasons for using these terms where they come from sting jet actually comes from the 87 storm that was when it was first identified Uh, a professor at Reading University came up with the theory and it goes back and we talked about Spanish plumes and actually what is a classic Spanish plume the reality is you can talk about these in textbooks but the, the reality is you very rarely get a complete classic where everything falls into Place and uh, you don't get these classic low pressure systems and actually the better our observing gets of these weather systems the more you find out about them and Sting Jet was a classic example of that from the 87th storm and it is a genuine term it's where you get a sudden rush of air down from middle levels and it, that's what flattened all those trees in Kent and caused all, all the devastation on the back edge of that low pressure system and it's called a Sting Jet because it was a sting in the tail it looked like a scorpion's tail that's yeah. where the term came from When you uh, look at
2: the charts of that in the archive you can really see yeah. it it's so, it's so clear
1: Yes, yeah. incredible and, and now it's like whenever there's explosive explosive cyclogenesis we look for that and explosive cyclogenesis is another one of those things that we often get accused of making things up and sensationalizing but this term's been around for for decades and weather bomb is basically just uh, a way of expressing explosive cyclogenesis which is just a rapid deepening a rapid intensification of a low pressure system the definition at these latitudes is if it drops by 24 millibars in 24 hours then that is the definition
3: of of a weather
1: bomb but it, it varies around the world i think jeff does it
3: um, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is with the term weather bomb, we, we use it because the cyclogenesis, which, as you say, is the formation of, you know, of a low pressure. Then we have rapid cyclogenesis, which is an increasing, you know, really well rapid formation of a low pressure, 12 uh, millibars in 24 hours, or should we be saying hectopascals at this, this Probably stage? Probably should. Um, and then, as you say, explosive cyclogenesis uh, is 24 hectopascals in 24 hours or above, Um but uh, the term weather bomb around the world is, is used by, you know, different nations to mean different things. I think in, in, in Australia, it's used to ju- any, any sort of weather phenomena that, that causes devastation is a weather bomb. So it's not a technically globally recognised term. It's just something that we've used here, you know, in the UK, and it's been picked up by the press. Actually, no, it was actually first used by, I think it was MIT. In, in America. There American yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. So, yes. Institute
0: of Technology. Yeah. And to, and talking about the Americans, they obviously <laughs> love the polar vortex, don't yeah,
1: they? They do, yes. And that's Didn't that, they I mean, get that, hit by it recently. They <laughs> did they get hit by the polar vortex <laughs> quite frequently. Wow. And it's a very different <laughs> definition to what we would describe as a polar vortex. For the UK and climate scientists here at Polar Vortex, we're talking about the stratospheric polar vortex which is always there in winter rapidly moving around the, the the poles but high up it's stratospheric the americans seem to use the term polar vortex just for when it gets cold anytime in the winter basically when they get on the cold side of the jet and cold air comes from the from the arctic they call that a polar vortex but that's not how we describe the polar vortex here it's it's a circulation high up in the atmosphere 30 to 50 kilometers high up and it's that. Which gets interfered with when we get sudden stratospheric warming that can weaken and that can then lead down to what happens lower down, can weaken the jet stream. Yeah. And that can al- can allow us to get easterly. So in fact, the
3: worst of the weather that the Americans get hit by is when the polar vortex is at its weakest.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's called bizarre. Irony, as um, Alanis Morissette would say,
3: which they wouldn't understand. <laughs>
0: Well talking about circulations I'd now like to just circle around the table. Oh, I see what you've done there. Oh, nice wow. thing. So I'm going to start with you Jeff. Are there any words that you love to use and that there's no sort of
3: can't use them on this podcast?
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You use them when you're, you use them when you're watching broadcasters talk about the weather,
3: don't you? <laughs>
0: Okay, well, moving swiftly on, Catherine. <laughs> no, no, I do have one actually. He's bound to have one. I've got one.
3: I've got one. My favourite word of all, dreich. Oh, ah, oh, yes. yes. lovely yes. Scottish yes. word <laughs> that. Dreich. Can you spell it? D R I E C H. And what does it mean? It just means miserable and grey and mizzly and drizzly and cold.
0: yeah Yeah, usually in an easterly wind yeah
3: Yeah. and you don't need to know what it means it just sounds (laughs) it sounds fantastic
0: isn't it how about you Catherine Uh, I've I've got one it's 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 slightly
2: different in that we still use it but the term yeah the science has come on a bit so kind of we're probably using it slightly in the wrong way these days um but it's weather fronts I mean we still talk about cold fronts and warm fronts even though actually I know that the science has moved on but fronts themselves, actually, they, they, come, they come out of uh, the Norwegian um, school, the Bergen School of Meteorology, and they, work, they were working on it during 1917, 1918. And the general idea was, you know, it's where two air masses meet each other, and it's a bit of a battleground. And of course, around that, that time, the battleground was quite obviously a front. So that's how we ended up with, with front lines and the concept of warm fronts and cold fronts. Um, and I do love the way when it, it when they first came up with them, warm fronts were blue and cold fronts were red which really? is totally nonsensical yeah, and obviously within that. about 10 years they flipped yeah. it the other way oh,
1: I didn't know that yeah That's and you, and
2: when you see when you see them drawn like on newspaper and things you kind of the warm front's got the the, the half sun for yeah. warmth, and the cold front's got oh. the ice oh. I I cold because they were That's going really into good. the
3: cold air probably it's good the way they're travelling yes they're I think the they were accident. kind of thinking yeah, it was, of it as yeah. the meeting yeah. yeah, yeah. if yeah, you want to know more about the history of that check out an earlier episode we did on Björkness yes so one of our halls of fame covered that in quite some depth
0: and finally our legend Ooh, that is alex Dieter.
1: so many different terms i've learned some more today i'm going to start using them in my broadcasts. um i remember thorns Francis yep. Wilson kind of developed that word back in the day on BBC Breakfast, back in the mid-80s, I think. Thorns is a shortened version for Thunderstorms. I do like that term. I think it just makes sense. And ha and fret are great oh, words yes, to describe yes. that cloud on the East yeah, Coast. It's yes, classic yeah. as
3: well. I love, I love the definitions that ha is fog over the North Sea in Scotland and fret is uh, fog over the North Sea, about 100 miles <laughs> <Yes>. further south. One mile further south of the border, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and finally, I love the word mizzle which is a mixture of mist and drizzle Francis Wilson again Yes. and also I, as I'm Scottish I have to say blowing a hoolie which oh, again yes. like Yes. you know what yes. we're talking yes, about exactly. so thank you very much for listening to Mostly Weather it's been great having your company we will all be back very soon today's producer was Jeff Norwood-Brown and editor was Simon Hammett Mostly Weather is a podcast from the UK Met Office